0: You are listening to an Elftree Publishing podcast. Our elves have been hard at work in search for meaningful and compelling content. So we hope you enjoy this show. And now for our future presentation. Enjoy. Featuring free-spirited conversation to help build a better future for generations to come. This is Elftree Publishing.
1: Up with, you know, we were always taught to be fair and balanced and show both sides of a story and let the viewers decide, and that has just completely gone out of the window. It is not what journalism is about, it never has been, and it's a very, very dangerous precedent. Um, Who are these people that are deciding what's information and what's misinformation? You know, who are they to dismiss scientists, eminent scientists, and doctors who question the official narrative and say it's misinformation. I mean since when did science stop? Since when did people stop reviewing it and asking questions and debating it?
2: Run. Run. Planet Earth about to be recycled. Your only chance to evacuate is to leave with us, is to leave with us.
0: From leaving behind the world of bioterrorism to off-the-grid and independent living. You're listening to Exit the Cult. Happy Friday, everyone! I'm your host Joe Morales, and you're listening to Exit the Cult, a podcast dedicated to exposing the lies of the mainstream media to help others wake up to the truth. Let's exit the blah, blah, blah. let's exit the cult together. It's been a while. It's October 14th, 2022. It's spooky month, you guys. I want to welcome all of our new listeners and thank all of you who have been listening since the beginning. You guys, we broke a thousand downloads. We've broken a thousand downloads of this show with zero advertisements, zero marketing dollars, zero outside teams pushing this into the cosmos. It is just me and you doing this show, you guys spreading it word of mouth, organic. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. It's good to be back, you guys. Um, I've been going through my own little bit of a great reset pun intended, where um, I finally got into a new house and um, I've got my studio set up again. I am literally back in action, you guys. So I, it, it took me a while. The transition from Los Angeles to uh, to Milwaukee was quite a roller coaster. If you've listened to the past shows, you understand, but I'm a big boy, I'm here, and I'm ready to rock. So welcome to the show. We're going to get into our cult of the day. For this little segment of our show, we go into a cult and uh, we feature one crazy, crazy cult per episode. So if you listen back on all the past shows, you are going to get a little bit of a quick kind of a cliff's note education on some of these cults. But today we're going to be talking about the Sullivanians or Sullivanians, aka the Upper West Side Cult from The Gothamist inside the rise and fall of a 1970s Upper West Side cult. 2643 Broadway, next to Metro Diner today. On the evening of July 29th, 1985, members of a mysterious group called the Sullivan Institute broke into and terrorized an apartment at 100th Street and Broadway. Dressed in dark colors and stocking caps, some beat the tenants with sticks while others slit open mattresses and smashed the sink, toilet, and television set. It was a coordinated revenge attack intended to send a message to the group's neighbors who allegedly started the drama by spilling paint on the Institute's wall. Oh no, oh no. After the raid, the Pillagers returned to their seven story co-op at 2643 Broadway. Quote, we were prepared for them to invade, says Paul Sprecher, a member of the Sullivan Institute for over a decade. We had security down at the front door to make sure they would be duly chastised. I don't remember, I think, one guy showed up to complain and he was manhandled. Hmm. You can't manhandle the willing. Just kidding. Okay. Well, it's kind of true. Um, let's continue on. The paint splatter that started the ordeal is still visible today on the brick wall just above the Metro Diner on 100th and Broadway. It is perhaps the last physical reminder of a psychotherapy cult informally known as the Sullivanians that once had 500 members living in three buildings on the Upper West Side. The paint is still there today. Sprecher, who now works as Sprecher, I think it's Sprecher. I think I'm I'm pronouncing his name wrong. I said Sprecher, like he's a Sprecher of the Lord. No, Sprecher, who now works as Unitarian minister, tells me over the phone that he prefers the term, quote, high demand group. Though, he's willing to admit that the group had a lot of hallmarks of a cult. For one, there was the chimerical leader, Saul B. Newton, a veteran of the Spanish Civil War who founded the Sullivan Research Institute in 1957 with his wife, Dr. Jane Pierce, a Marxist. Oh, a Marxist, of course. A mark. Do I even need to say it? The second you find out about these cults, you're always just like... Ah, the horrors, the horrors of these people. How did, how could, and then all of a sudden you go, oh, they were a communist. Oh, they were a Marxist. And then literally the people that are controlling this country in the United States, that this is who they are. The same types of people. It's a cult. Anyway, let me continue on this article. I digress. A Marxist with no formal training as a therapist, Newton sought to create an alternative to the traditional nuclear family, which he viewed as the root cause of social anxiety. The Institute, part Therapy Center, part Polyamorous Commune, (laughs) began attracting members in the late 1960s, many of them well-known artists and intellectuals, including writer Richard Price and singer Judy Collins. Jackson Pollock was also a proto-member, according to his biography. He started seeing Ralph Klein for therapy in 1955. Klein was a close friend of Newton's and would go on to become a leader of the group. Yeah, if you don't know Jackson Pollock, he's the he's the artist that did all the splattery painty stuff. There's a really great documentary about an old woman who found one of his paintings in a thrift store. And the documentary is called Who the Fuck is Jackson Pollock? And apparently it's just kind of an expose on how the, the art community essentially was so pissed off that this woman had found this multi-million dollar painting, and so they just wouldn't they wouldn't acknowledge that it was an original, even though the DNA evidence was Jackson Pollock's paint it came from his actual studio. Anyway, Sprecher, a recent Harvard graduate seeking roommates in a new city, joined the institute in 1974 almost by accident. Quote, I found this group and it just so happened that all of them were in Sullivanian therapy, he says. It was an incredibly neat experience for a newcomer in New York City. Suddenly, I had a social life. There were women who wanted to date me. We spent the summer in Amaganset, wherever the hell that is. It was very loose in those days just people hanging out in apartments the purpose of the group as pitched to Sprecker and others was to expand the revolutionary promise of the 1960s members would find a social circle of like-minded people mostly well-educated secular leftists and jewish committed to a brand of psychotherapy imbued with radical politics and sexual liberation quote the therapists did not regard therapeutic boundaries with any respect at all says sprecker everyone slept with everyone, end quote, sounds healthy. While he now recognizes that many of those relationships crossed a line, Sprecher didn't think anything of it at the time. Well, of course not, because that was the 60s and everything was just kind of, you know, whatever. Anything goes. It's the, uh, the love revolution. LSD, DMT, ecstasy, marijuana, cocaine, shroomies, Quote, we created a living context like a tiny village that was mostly cut off from the world. The bizarre thing, of course, is that you're in the middle of New York City, but the dynamics of control and so on are like a village. End quote. Despite the seemingly lax nature, this village still had plenty of rules. Most members lived in sex-segregated apartments on the Upper West Side, where they were forbidden from engaging in exclusive relationships unless approved by Newton. Children born in the group were shipped off to boarding school or given to caretakers, with their parents only allowed to visit for an hour or two a day. In mandated weekly sessions, therapists advised patients to cut off all contact with outside friends and relatives, except when in need of money. (laughs) Of course, of course. It took only a few months in therapy for Sprecher to sever his relationship with his parents. As ranks swelled in the mid-1970s, the group took on an increasingly authoritarian nature, even as they expanded into new ventures. Many attribute the shift to the departure of Dr. Pierce and the arrival of Newton's second wife, Joan Harvey, a soap opera actor and aspiring stage director. So dramatic. Can you imagine this woman in her robes walking in, probably just smoking cigarettes and always has like a, a glass of tea in her hand? Super eccentric, thinking she's progressive. It's all about freeing your mind and your body. It was Harvey's idea to merge the therapy group with a politically progressive theater collective called The Fourth Wall. In 1978, the budding troops signed a lease at the Truck and Warehouse Theater in the East Village. When the previous company refused to vacate the theater, hundreds of Sullivanians took over the space and destroyed their sets, leading to three arrests. How dare they? Quote, all of the members were invited to come down and occupy the theater. The cops came in the middle of the night, and we had to barricade the doors. It was very exciting, recalls Sprecker. Saul wanted to teach people how to stand up to cops. He liked that kind of confrontation, end quote. The leadership's tendencies for erratic behavior finally came to a head in 1979. Following the partial nuclear meltdown at the Three Mile Island in Pennsylvania, the group migrated en masse to Orlando, Florida to await the destruction of Manhattan. When the 250 or so members returned to New York a few weeks later, things were different. Anyone who didn't go on the trip was ostracized by Newton and members who publicly spoke to the incident could be kicked out. Quote, This was the moment that the fourth wall smashed closed. It was very scary, says Sprecher. Mike Bray joined the Sullivan Institute in 1972 on the recommendation of a fellow classmate in Fordham's clinical psychology program. Within two years, Bray divorced his wife, cut off contact with his parents, and moved into one of the Upper West Side apartment buildings where he would remain until 1985, the year uh, I believe um, Back to the Future came out for context. After the Three Mile Island incident, he tells me over the phone, paranoid beliefs and distortions of reality began to set in, particularly among Saul Newton and Joan Harvey. The group had recently acquired a resort in the Catskills where Bray was soon dispatched to build a secret steel-lined room with quarter-inch plates so that Joan Harvey could edit her film without interference from the CIA. Okay, that is a little strange right there, you guys. I mean, did they know something about the CIA? Did the CIA try to infiltrate their group? Interesting. Bray didn't buy into the surveillance panic, but he remembers deriving a sense of purpose from the mission. Quote, There was the technical manpower of succeeding at this task subsumed under the desire to be approved of, he says. It was a suspension of critical thinking, end quote, which is essentially what the entire world is living in under the suspension of critical thinking. Another one of his jobs was to oversee the fleet of school buses and motorcycles, which the group kept in case of some dire emergency. Quote, we had a very planned out escape route that involved walking to the George Washington Bridge. In terms of the leadership children, it meant putting them in backpacks and then riding them out in off-road motorcycles, which we had about six of, end quote. At this point, the group owned approximately $12 million in property, including the Catskills Resort, a house in Vermont, and two buildings in the Upper West Side. The third was a rental. This wealth came directly from members who were instructed to contribute most of their money for the benefit of the group. As the leadership grew more powerful, they also became more controlling. Quote, The therapist tried in some cases to control people's relationships romantically, remembers Amy Siskind, a member of the group for 21 years, beginning when she was 13. They wanted to control whether I had children. They wanted to control who I was with. She recalls being frightened by Newton, whose violent tendencies only escalated in the 80s as he began doing coke. Oh, wait, didn't say that. Escalated in the 80s as he began exhibiting signs of dementia. Quote, he had this idea of how to deal with people who are against you. And this idea was basically intimidation and violence. There were many incidents throughout the history of the group of intimidation. One such incident involved Siskin's current husband and former therapist, Michael Cohen, who attempted to leave the group in 1985. As Cohen would later testify in court, two Sullivanians, one of them Newton's son, tracked Cohen down and assaulted him in the Union Square subway stop. According to court documents, the pair dangled Cohen over the subway tracks and threatened to kill him. Today, the two aggressors are successful New York professionals. Of course they are. One works for, oh my God, of course. One works for the New York Times. The other is a professor at Columbia. Quote, no one was ever prosecuted for that, says Siskind. It would have been nice if they had been. It's too late now, end quote. I mean, you guys, like how many different angles of of this kind of, Tyranny can people see? Like when you see the New York Times and you go, "Oh, that's a trusted and a respected news source." No, it's not. No, they're not. It's it's propaganda. And then of course it's pollinated by people like this who are dangling this dude over some train tracks. And you're saying, Joe, well, that's his word over theirs. And and there, you know, I'm just supposed to take the words of this Cohen guy. Well, I do. I believe him. I think if he was being attacked and, and tracked down by people who defected from this group, of course. Of course, they were henchmen. And then, of course, they, they pollinate, you know, they become professors at these universities to indoctrinate the children so that by the time those students graduate with their doctorates or their PhDs, they're completely indoctrinated, and they go and they continue on this cultic behavior. That's what it's all about. That's what colleges are for now. It's to indoctrinate. It's not to create free-thinking human beings. That's for damn sure. Conform. 1988, Dr. Michael Bray and Paul Sprecher left the eccentric psychotherapy cult, the Sullivanians, and sued the cult, which did not recognize nuclear family for custody of their children. The group began to crumble in the late 1980s as two custody suits filed by Michael Bray and Paul Sprecher brought public attention to the group's violent tendencies and controversial child-rearing practices. Newton's death in 1991 marked an official end to the institute, though some claim that Joan Harvey and her husband, Ralph Klein, continued operating a similar community out of their home in New Rochelle. With the exception of an academic book published by Amy Siskin in 2003, almost nothing has been written about the Sullivan Institute, fourth wall community, in the years following its dissolution. A few longtime residents of the neighborhood have vague memories of the group, but otherwise it's been mostly forgotten. Most of the surviving ex-members are in their 60s or 70s by now, and are understandably wary of discussing this chapter of their lives. Yeah, because they're all rich, and they're all like living in their little liberal bubbles. Voting Democrat, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. Anyway, that's enough of this. I don't really care about this cult anymore. I thought it was going to be a little more interesting than this. A little more controversy, more murder. So I apologize. This one was boring. But some key takeaways are it was interesting that that guy that dangled the dude over the tracks is now working at the New York Times and one's a professor at Cambridge. It's a pure example of how these Marxists and communists sneak their way into the institutions. Hmm. Who would have thought? You're, You're listening, listening to Exit, to Exit the, the Cult. cult. Only, only on Elf Tree Publishing. Publishing. Enjoy. 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 Enjoy, Enjoy, hey, hey, enjoy, hey, hey, you, enjoy, 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 hey, hey, you, yeah, Yeah, you, you. enjoy, Enjoy. Enjoy.
3: (laughs) you, you.
0: (laughs) enjoy.
4: They coke, I see myself in the pistol smoke. Fool, I'm the kind of cheetah little homies wanna be like on my knees in the night, saying prayers in the street light.
0: As most of you know, this past week, the tragic death of Coolio rippled across the globe. From the New York Post, Coolio revealed he had five grandkids just month before his death. Beloved late rapper Coolio was very much a family man before his sudden death at the age of 59 this week. The gangsta's paradise hitmaker often gushed about his life not only as a father, but as a grandfather. Months before his death on Wednesday, Coolio, real name artist Leon Ivy Jr., which I had no idea about, opened up about what it's like to experience his children have their own kids. In March, Coolio, a father of 10, told Australian TV show, Today Extra, he was also a proud grandfather of five kids. When asked about what his kids thought of his popular show, Cooking with Coolio, which aired at the time, the rapper revealed the feedback he received was positive. Quote, They like it. Daddy, can you cook for me? Daddy, can you make that for me? It hasn't changed. My kids are all grown-ups. I have five grandchildren now, he said. He was then asked what his grandkids thought of his successful rap career, which saw him win the 1996 Grammy Award for best rap solo performance. Coolio said that while his grandchildren haven't figured it out yet, he did hope that they would be involved with music in the future. If that doesn't make you feel old. The rapper's official cause of death is pending, though cardiac arrest is suspected. I wonder if he was jabbed. Paramedics attempted to revive Coolio with CPR when he was found unresponsive at a friend's Los Angeles home, according to TMZ. So here's this crazy interview on Hip Hop Uncensored podcast. This is Coolio uh, predicting his death in his last Zoom interview. And so I thought this would be a wild clip to share. Listen to this. Seen some crazy shit. I
4: seen some crazy shit, bro. I seen some mm-hmm. shit like, wow. I seen some shit that made me go, what the fuck? Is this really happening right now?
5: Conversation about the gatekeepers, real. You know the rituals, things people got to do, blood sacrifice thing. I don't know if you got into all that, but can you kind of go there, being as though you were in the belly I, I, of the beast in the music industry?
4: I've read about all of that. Yeah. And I'm. A, I'm a, I don't need to say I'm a, I only can say my truth, and you would think that with the height of success that I had and. The things I was able to do, the amount of records I sold, and actually the amount of—I um, don't want to say political power, but the amount of social power that I that I was able to achieve—you would think that I would be a prime candidate for this. For this, just, just to be, so we could say we could call it something for to be a member of the Illuminati or a member of the elite society or whatever you would think that I would be that they would come at me and I I think they did it sideways though I never nobody never got at me directly and said we want you to join us and we're doing this that's never happened but I will tell you I've had motherfuckers come at me on some weirdo shit like on some gay shit I've had motherfuckers come at me on some, oh, you should do this type shit. And I was like, what, what? Why what, Man, what the, why the fuck would I do that? <laughs> I make no sense. I, I, I view that as being um, inhuman. I view that as, I, I would never do that. So, and then right when the um, it was some things that I was trying to do that I felt were important Things that I that I felt with the help of other people, shit started happening to me. With to jail, for some bullshit, mm-hmm. got convicted. Well, not necessarily convicted, but because I I didn't do no time, no real time. But little shit started happening, you know. And I never, I didn't even address the shit really, because who the fuck. When you know, and when you're a celebrity, bro, when something happens, whether it's true or it's not true, once it's been said, Mm
6: -hmm.
4: for most people, it's true, because people don't people don't do research to find out if something is true about a person or not. Whatever they hear, they deem it to be true. So, I didn't I didn't go hard on. Oh, I I didn't do that. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. It never happened. I just let the shit die down. Continued on on my life. Also, um, I'm at a point right now in my life where it's a lot of shit I know that I want to tell people. It's a lot of things that I want to teach, but I'm afraid. I'm gonna be honest Mm -hmm. with you. I'm scared because I, I got four grandchildren, and I got, I got, and I got. I got children that are in this world. I got people I care about, and they, I got people that I care about that, that that don't necessarily believe what I believe.
6: Yeah,
4: and I and I'm not. I have no fear of death, and I think that those that would oppose my my beliefs, they they've probably done enough. If 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 somebody's after me or if somebody's watching me, then they know enough about me to know that I have no fear of death. So killing me don't mean shit. It just it just confirms that what I said was true.
7: Hmm.
4: But I do have a fear of them hurting my family. So I'm quiet about certain things. I don't talk about everything I know because I don't I don't want my I don't want nobody in my family to be hurt. You know what I'm saying? I want nothing to happen to my people, and I, you know, if I owe them anything, I owe that to them. I owe them the, I owe them the, 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 you know, I owe them their lives to be able to live their life, and not have, not be uh, subjected to, to any type of harm because of something I did or said.
0: Man, such a crazy interview. Um, yeah, it just kind of goes to show you how serious these powers are in these shadows. And most people are like, ah, that's, that's a conspiracy theory, man. I just think the higher you climb, the more real shit gets in the industry, especially when there's money involved. And you can, you can clearly see that Coolio isn't afraid of shit. And he's also mostly concerned about protecting his family and his friends and making sure that anything he says, um, doesn't come back to bite anybody that he truly loves just very very wild well here's one of his uh longtime tour mates and uh legend in his own right tone loke speaking about coolio and the void that it's left him um he spoke to tmz this week oh and for those who don't know who tone loke is here so
5: be my queen if you know what i mean let's do the wild thing wild
4: wow.
0: Oh, and if that still doesn't ring a bell, maybe Ace Ventura? Here.
7: Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. God, this
8: is not the time, Mace. If Einhorn come down here and see me talking to you or your ass, I'm history.
0: I think I can keep him under control, but you'll have to tell me who's working with Snowflake.
8: Hey, I can't do nothing for you on that. My hands are totally tied.
0: All right, that's it. Now it's my turn. Five minutes alone. That's all I need. Come on. Better look alive? I'm Horn's on our way down. Woo. Sure come, come on now, bum.
8: Ace. Please, man. Please. What's the
0: matter, Emilio? Afraid I'll make a stink? Ah, come on.
8: All right. Aguado's ah. working the case, all right? Aguado. Aguado. Good call. Look here. We're just a little busy right now with murderers and burglaries and drug dealers and things like that. A missing dolphin isn't exactly a high priority. Oh, now you've pissed him off. Please give me a break, man. I can't
7: me hold me him a much trunk.
8: longer. My boss is coming, man. Okay, okay, look. We ran and check with all the local animal rights groups, all right? We checked out the taxidermists and ran and checked through the local DMV on all recent van rentals. So far, nothing, Nathan, nada, all right? Any
0: unusual bets being
8: made? Of course there's bets being made. It's a Super Bowl.
0: Okay, here's the TMZ interview.
9: Look, man. Hey, um, I see. Hey, seeing you is, you know, we we love you, man. You know, I, I got I got to know though, man. I know you've been doing, you do shows with Julio all the time. That's right. And, and I got to know, like, what's that? What's it been like? I know, is like, there's got to be a big voice, cause you guys, like, I'm am I incorrect in saying that? No, you you, you are
8: absolutely correct. I would say myself. Young MC and Rob Bass probably do the most show with Coolio, period. Um, realistically, that show we're just coming from last night in Orlando, Florida, he should have been on. He was gonna be wow. with myself, wow. Sugar Hill Gang, Young MC and Rob Bass, and Coolio should have been up in there. My so DJ- So he was scheduled for that, wow. Yeah, he was scheduled that's, for it. That's his private gig. My, my wow. DJ uh, right here is missing, you know, Coolio to the fullest. I mean, of course, because he really hangs out with his drummer and his bass player. This is the behind the scene, the part that nobody else sees. Right. So Coolio is heavily missed by us, you know what I'm saying, because we love Coolio. Man, that's my boy. Mm-hmm. And he did, you know, something for me. He performed for my brother's funeral about mm, 16 years ago. Wow. Him, G, and Young MC for free. So I will never ever forget that about Coolio, man. He's got a special place in my heart for doing that. he did it out of nowhere just because he loved my brother. So now, I thought that was cool.
9: Now he's like, he was particularly like this, this fun energy, this like unique spirit. Like he was wild. In hip hop. There's not, there's not another. He I mean. Wild. No,
8: he was unique.
9: What, what, what oh it,
8: clown. Always clown. Is,
9: is there anything you can share? Like, you
8: know, like a, a story that only you guys know. I mean, like we from, could. <laughs> but we can't tell y'all, you know what I'm saying? We got that backstage though we can't tell y'all. Oh, there, there, yeah, you know there, what I'm yeah. saying, all the stuff, yeah man, balls, yeah. we got that backstage too. Yeah. We can't tell y'all the stuff we really, really know. Yeah, you can't you know replace Coolio,
5: man. You can't replace him. I man. love the 90s, it's gonna really miss you. I love all, the 90s, man. man. We've been doing that tour for over six years and he's been one of the main attractions. You
8: know. We're gonna miss him. Yeah, yeah man We're yeah, gonna yeah. miss him See you when we get there See you when I get there homie Yes sir yes, You know sir. what I'm saying Peace out man That's major love to Coolio Yeah Hey.
9: hey well, well listen man He was set to do this Like a whole other thing in
8: Vegas, like a Vegas resident, yeah. with this company that does like I mean, I don't know if they, you know, yeah. what I'm saying if that was really true or not. I did. Yeah, a we show did with that. Them, we did that. So I don't know if, that's, that Vegas, if that was going to happen, me, right? Yeah. Yeah, we, we did that. I you, mean, you we know, I don't know if that way. was he said to do it. We'll right, right. find out when we when we asked his manager yeah. in a little while, but yeah. you know. You know, he's a yeah. performer, man. He did all over. He goes everywhere, you, so we're so going
9: to miss him. Can you tell me something, though, like, specifically, like, when you step on stage right now, Yeah. like, knowing, like, yo, like, last night, you were, like, walking me through it. You get on stage. Is that in the back of your mind, like, still, like, like right now? Oh, like man. Like, oh, always. Always. Like, like, always.
8: You step out there and you're like... can't wake up in the morning. Always. You don't go to sleep at man. night without something like that being on your head because this yeah. is, like, a close relative. This is somebody who we... Used to seeing every week, you know what I'm saying? If not every other week, we have we are used to seeing him. I mean, seriously, man, for the past five years, the past 20 years, every other week, every two weeks at the most, you know. So we're used to him. I don't know how many people can really, you know, go through and say they're doing shows or done shows with Coolio, but I'm here to let you know that. We do shows. We've done a gang of shows with Cooley a whole lot. So he will be missed by us. You know, we were, we're just waiting. We just waiting. Six
5: days before he passed, we did a show in Maryland. Two shows. Well, what was the vibe that day? It was fantastic. He looked healthy. We were in the. Um, uh, in a dressing room, watching the fo- um, watching the football game on his phone. Well, we, what who what game? Yeah, yeah. It, it was Pittsburgh, Cleveland. It
8: was Pittsburgh, Cleveland. On yeah. Thursday night football. Well, yeah. What was his energy like?
5: His energy was fantastic, man. because tone, forgot his speaker.
8: Yeah, and he brought
5: in the dressing speaker. room, and Coolio brought it back to the hotel for him. Yeah, that's
8: the homie, right yeah, there. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I, I was like, oh man, I don't know what I'm gonna do without my speaker. Dude, we chill with he those brought guys back my speaker for me, all thank the time,
5: man. Thank God. So to miss him. Being from Compton too, I'm from Compton, you know, first rapper from Compton to win a Grammy, first rapper from Compton to win an American tell Music it, Award. It. My boy had achievements, man. You know, he, he employed black men, and now it's like.
9: What do you think his legacy will be? Because I feel like people, look, obviously, everyone just thinks like, you know, sing, not, that's not fair. A lot of people, have that the gangster's paradise like right. embedded on them, right? Like it's like that's Julio to them. But like what do you think his his true contribution
8: to hip hop, like if you could boil it down is? Um I mean, you know, basically if you were to boil down with his contribution, he had hit records, bottom line. He got his foot in the door. I mean what contribution can you have to hip hop if you got hit records? Him personally is very smart. He's very hood-like, but he's extremely smart. And he always stayed as real as hell. And that's one thing I do dig about Coolio. You can be in the middle of Mississippi, you can be in New York or North Dakota, anywhere. You're going to be Coolio. And that's the one thing. that I must say I dig about him. And you didn't even know that until now that he's gone. I respect that even more about him.
10: With our government guilty of pushing a deadly experimental vaccine, robbing the nation of its wealth, and starting a war with Russia, who has a superior nuclear weapons arsenal, one has to ask, be it angry mobs or atom bombs, where do these crooks plan on escaping the fallout?
6: Denver is now handing out free bug-out bags to help you just in case you run into emergency. Lisa, all right, I asked you last time, I need to know the checklist of everything I gotta put in my bug-out bag. (laughs) toilet paper, paper towels, toilet paper, paper towels. We've got cotton balls. Two opportunities to get these free emergency preparedness bags. So really an important effort, especially when we're talking about severe weather. Yeah, and I know a lot of people are gonna go and get those bags, but for people who maybe can't make it out there, is there anything in there that's you know too tough that you couldn't just put one of those together mm-hmm. yourself? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff you could easily put together yourself. I mean, if you got any extra cotton balls, you know, paper towels,
3: toilet paper. The
10: city of Denver is letting the locals know they. Should Should be prepared for an unexpected order to get out of town in a hurry and many people are connecting dots between this and the denver international airport the denver international airport has long been rumored to be sitting atop an underground military base built deep beneath the surface and connected to several other underground bases these rumors are the result of several interesting facts from 1995 until he was found dead a year later, Phil Schneider gave dozens of lectures claiming to be a geological engineer hired to build deep underground military bases, known as DUMs, for the U.S. government. His father was Captain Oscar Schneider, a former Nazi stationed in Florida working black operations for Naval Intelligence. Phil Schneider was showing samples of what he claimed were unknown exotic metals. He provided maps of the underground dumps and showed off dramatic scars that he claimed were from a violent skirmish with a non-human species deep underground. In January of 1996, Schneider was found dead in his home days after he mysteriously died of strangulation. Investigations were never completed and it was ruled a suicide. His evidence went missing. Before he died, Phil Schneider used his clearance to take investigative author Alex Christopher into the top underground levels of the Denver airport, where they took pictures of a long road heading off to multiple destinations. Built upon 53 square miles of land, 25 miles from downtown, the Denver airport was billions of dollars over budget. Different contractors were hired for each section some of whom have come forward and claimed it would take days to show you what's down there. Inside the otherwise unimpressive airport, there is a capstone with cryptic Illuminati and Masonic imagery marking a time capsule buried beneath to be opened in 2094. The airport opened with a famous four-piece mural depicting biological warfare, death and destruction, the surrender of all national sovereignty, and the emergence of a new religion On the floor, for no apparent reason, is what appears to be the symbol for gold and silver in a mining cart, AUAG, which is also the abbreviation for a deadly strain of hepatitis discovered in 1965. Outside on the surface, the runways form the shape of a swastika, and passengers are greeted by what has become known as Blucifer a 32-foot horse with glowing red eyes that reportedly killed its creator when a piece of the sculpture came loose and severed an artery in his leg. This is why many people are talking about Denver's bug-out-bag program, which is good because now that we know who the people committing these historic crimes against humanity are, we can't just let them slip away into some hole somewhere. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese.
0: So an interesting conversation that I had with one of my best friends a few months ago, he left me a message because we were talking about the Denver airport. And he mentioned that he met this um, older gentleman who's an artist who knew Luis Jimenez, the the man who created Blucifer and was killed by it. And there's a little more to the story than what you can really find on the internet. And so I thought this would be so amazing to kind of share this story because there's nowhere else that I've heard this. At least in my research, I have not found anything else that kind of gives this kind of an insight. And it happened because my best friend just had a long-winded conversation with this friend of Luis's. And another interesting thing about Luis is he's survived by a daughter who happened to be on Project Runway, I think the first season and was eliminated in like the first episode. But she went on to work for a number of actors and musicians, including Cher, Jennifer Connelly, uh, Marissa Tomei, Courtney Love, Sarah Jessica Parker, Cameron Diaz, Pink, to name a few. So it's very interesting uh, that she went on to kind of have a a high profile career. But rest in peace, Luis Jimenez. There was more to that story. And uh, with my buddy's permission, I am altering his voice just so I can kind of have some respect for him and his anonymity but here is the the story from my buddy
11: he's a really really talented painter artist you'd you'd freaking love him he's 87 he's been super freaking cool and he's just a really really amazing dude a man and he did all barrio art grew up in the 50s all the way or earlier but spent the 50s through the 70s 80s living there just has a freaking killer stories of the the Mexican ghetto basically and just a massive wealth of knowledge. Anyway, we're sitting out on his porch one day talking and uh, we're just having a conversation and I'm going deep into like these conspiracy things and I start talking about the Denver airport um, about the murals and about all these different things and I start talking about Lucifer, the Mustang the red-eyed Mustang and how you know all about the airport the stuff we know about it being built and all these things and I mention the Mustang and he goes, oh yeah, I have a friend who was the artist for that. I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, my friend was the artist. And um, basically he had this woman in his life who was like a witch and, a, and a, she was a sorcerer, like was all into witchcraft and like practiced spells and like did all these crazy things, like a real witch, not like dabbling in it or even talking about it, Harry pottery. He's like, no, she was like bad, bad vibes. And we all knew it. And while he was working on the horse, they had all this stuff going on, and I forget the super details of the whole thing. But basically, they commissioned him to do the Mustang, paid him a bunch of money, and then it all got real dark. And so, as he began to do the Mustang and do the art piece, uh, he started telling all his art friends that he was just feeling really off about the whole project and how his his this lady in his life, who you know, he the way he described it, like she was like controlling him, Um, and he goes, yeah, they pushed her to, or she pushed him to do the whole project, and one day he was just under pressure, and he hung the horse's head up on these cables inside of his warehouse where he was working on it, and the cables snapped, and the horse hung, flung down and sliced his leg, and he bled out and died, so the horse killed him, before he ever finished it, but he was close, and so they finished the project on top of it. After like the lady came in and finished the project to have it put up, and so they went ahead and did the commission. And as he's telling me the story, I'm like, "You gotta be kidding me!" The artist that designed it and was commissioned to do it was killed by the horse, and I'm and I told him, "I'm like, dude, do you know like where that horse is?" And he's like, "Oh no, <laughs> just totally clueless to the whole Denver airport thing." So. If you look up the story online, there's different pieces of it. Uh, and I forget it uh, all the details, because he's got a story, and then the online it's all a little different. But um, I think he, anyway, if you look up the story of it, it's pretty amazing. But he knew him, he knew the guy. And he has tons of stories of different artists uh, in that culture. Uh, he's just well-seasoned. But. And uh, yeah, it, it was wild for me, because I'm, I'm just talking to my neighbor, trying to see what doors can be opened in terms of what he's aware of and how far he's gone. And, I mean, he's 87, so I'm like, what do you know? (laughs) And he's super, super cool. But as I start telling the story, his eyes just got real big because he's like, basically the gist of what I remember him conveying is that that this woman infiltrated into this guy. Like, she, she seduced him ultimately and offered him this commission and that, like, took over spiritually like controlled him uh, was the way he kind of describing how it looked from the outside was that this lady had control over him and uh, the way he described it was that he had a big warehouse and was building the steel horse and was just putting it all together and was trying to piece it all together and then had the head suspended and then um, I think there was like a fallout an argument um, I'm trying to remember this because it's been like a year and a half, two years since that told me the story. But um, ultimately, there was conflict, dissension, and then he just conceded to finish the project and then move on. And I would imagine the way he was kind of talking about it, that they probably had a fight. And she was like, oh, you're going to move on for sure. It's literally within a short period of time is when this happened and the head just snapped from the steel, the steel just gave way and uh, the head swung down and sliced his leg and then he bled out. So, yeah, anyway, I knew the whole time he was talking, I was like, yeah, that did not sound good. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like exactly what I think it is and what you think it is, but you know. I'm not surprised it's all involved in all that world. That there's a lot of money that go, that attaches itself. Um, but yeah, I, I pinged it as they basically just used them like they do a lot of people. And uh, he
0: didn't get out. He didn't get out. No, no. Note to self, never date a witch. It's going to get you in trouble. Before you know it, they're clipping pieces of your hair and burying it in the backyard and casting hexes on you. From the Gateway Pundit, breaking. Pfizer director admits vaccine was never tested on preventing transmission during EU hearing contrary to what was previously advertised. During the COVID-19 EU hearing, Pfizer's president of international development markets, Janine Small, admitted that the vaccine had never been tested on its ability to prevent transmission contrary to what was previously advertised. Robert Rob Roos, a politician from the Netherlands, who is also a member of the European Parliament, exposed the lie that people from all over the world had been led to believe.
12: If you don't get vaccinated, you're antisocial. This is what the Dutch prime minister and health minister told us. You don't get vaccinated just for yourself, but also for others. You do it for all of society. That's what I said. Today, this turned out to be complete nonsense. In a COVID hearing in the European Parliament, one of the Pfizer directors just admitted to me, at the time of introduction, the vaccine had never been tested on stopping the transmission of the virus. This removes the entire legal basis for the COVID passport. The COVID passport that led to massive institutional discrimination as people lost access to essential parts of society. I find this to be shocking, even criminal. Please watch the video until the end. For you, Ms. heb I have the vraag question, where I want a clear answer. And I will speak in English so there are no misunderstandings. Was the Pfizer COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market? If not, please say it clearly if yes are you willing to share the data with this committee and i really want a straight answer yes or no and i'm looking forward to it thank you very much
1: um regarding the question around um did we know about stopping humanization before um it's entered the market no uh these um you know we had to really move at the speed of science to really understand what is taking place in the market
12: this is scandalous Millions of people worldwide felt forced to get vaccinated because of the myth that you do it for others. Now, this turned out to be a cheap lie. This should be exposed.
0: Please share this video. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to hear that. I mean, to be fair to Janine, she at least answered honestly. She didn't gaslight the public again. But listen to this again. Listen to this one more time. They had to move at the speed of science. What science? Or was it all about money?
1: No, Uh, these, um, you know, we had to really move at the speed of science to really understand what is taking place in the market.
0: What is taking place in the market? We just want to make sure that we can compete and make money with everybody else too, Moderna, Johnson and Johnson. We don't want to be left behind and not make any of that money. These people are sick. They should all be held accountable. They should all face military tribunals, global tribunals for their crimes against humanity period. From thehighwire.com, Twitter censors Florida Surgeon General Dr. Ladapo then backtracks after public backlash. The Florida Department of Health, the FDH, conducted an analysis through a self-controlled case series, a technique originally developed to evaluate vaccine safety, and just announced some shocking results. In a press release discussing the findings of the study and announcing the new mRNA COVID-19 vaccine guidance, FDH wrote, quote, This analysis found that there is an 84% increase in the relative incidence of cardiac-related death among males 18 to 39 years old within 28 days following mRNA vaccination, end quote. Alongside the study's publication and findings, the state Surgeon General, Dr. Joseph A. Ladapo, has recommended against males aged 18 to 39 from receiving mRNA COVID-19 vaccines, quote, Those with pre-existing cardiac conditions, such as myocarditis and pericarditis, should take particular caution when making this decision, end quote. A link to the study and a short description of it posted to Twitter by Dr. Ladapo was promptly deleted from the social media site because it violated the Twitter rules, according to the company. Yet after prompt public backlash, Twitter capitulated and reinserted the tweet. This was the tweet. Today we released an analysis on COVID-19 mRNA vaccines the public needs to be aware of. This analysis showed an increased risk of cardiac related death among men 18 to 39. Florida will not be silent on the truth. And then he's got a link to content.govdelivery.com, and that is where the study was performed. You can look at that data. I will add it in the show notes. Um, it's unbelievable that Twitter, even for a second, thought that oh we're going to go ahead and uh, we're going to go ahead and censor this guy based on actual science. I mean, you just heard this Janine chick from Pfizer saying, oh no, no, we did not, no, no, we just wanted to, we just wanted to compete in the market. These people are sick. As the information comes out, it's only going to become more and more clear that there is some massive, massive fraud going on. This entire this entire jab campaign is going to go down in history as the greatest fraud in medical history. The greatest. It's going to surpass anything we've ever even imagined. It's going to eclipse anything that Joseph Goebbels from Nazi Germany was doing when he was experimenting on the Jews during uh, post uh, World War II. I mean, this is going to eclipse everything that happened in Africa, stuff that uh, the Gates Foundation was doing when they were testing on all these freaking young girls over in Africa and all these different tribes and stuff over there. And and it's just really sick.
7: Out of these troubled times, our fifth objective, a new world order can emerge, a new era. We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations, a new world order. A world where the rule of law, not the law of the jungle, governs the conduct of nations. When we are successful, and we will be. It is a big idea a new world order. A world in which there is the very real prospect of a new world order. And that's why I wanted to speak to you today about the new world taking shape around us, about the prospects for a new world order now within our reach. There's a need for a new world order, but
8: it has different characteristics in different parts
3: of the world. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. And it's about the future of Europe and a new world order. After
1: 1989, President Bush kept said, and it's a phrase that I often use myself, that we needed a new world order. India and China are clearly becoming part of our new order. So, in conclusion, ladies and
8: gentlemen, A new world is emerging. It is a new world order. I think its task will be to develop an overall strategy for America in this period, when really a new world order can be created. It's a great opportunity. It
12: isn't just a crisis.
1: Good evening, everybody. President Obama and British Prime Minister Gordon today calling for a new world order to tackle our global economic crisis.
7: And the president outlined his vision of a new world order in which the U.S. would participate fully. We've got to give them a stake in creating the kind of uh, uh, world order that I think all of us would like to see. We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations when we are successful, and we will be. When we are successful, and we will be. When we are, su- when we are successful, and we, w- and we will be. We have a real chance. At, we have a real chance at this new world order.
0: When we are successful, and we will be, we have a real chance at this new world order. Are you guys enjoying the new world order so far? That's the world we're living in. This is their absolute experiment on humanity, and it sucks ass. In my opinion, it sucks pure ass. So, I have a really cool report from The High Wire that I thought would be great to play. I often listen to this podcast, very informative on vaccine injuries and things like that. And um, just Dale Bigtree, the guy who hosts it, has just been crushing. Um, but he had a show called titled Former Sky News Exec Directs New Film on Vaccine Injuries. He speaks with... Uh, former Sky News and ITV chief, Mark Sharman, who has been one of the few brave oppositional voices in mainstream media to come forward against the assault on humanity. It's well worth your time. Here's that report.
2: I want to continue changing the world in every way possible. Sure, we have the legal side, but media is really I think, obviously, because I'm a media person, it's the most important thing that we can do. And I've said it time and time again. I was working at CBS on a medical talk show, The Doctors. I was a bit of a Trojan horse in there. I wasn't always buying the system. In fact, most of the stories I was doing was challenging the medical establishment because I had a hunch, based on the way I was raised, that some of this was bull crap. Well, I'm telling you, I'm not the only one that's out there. And sometimes it's like a malhalter. We talk about the whistleblowers in pharma and the whistleblowers that are doctors. How many whistleblowers are there that are journalists, that recognize that we are being paid to propagandize our nations? That is what is happening. Well, there are plenty out there, I know it, that want to stand up and rise up. They don't always do it, but that's why we want to not just celebrate the doctors that do it, but the journalists and the producers and the filmmakers that do also. I had a brilliant gentleman in England on the show fairly recently named Mark Shorman, one of the top television producers in the UK. He was used to doing great investigative reporting for ITV and Sky News, but then he ran into the same problem I did at the doctors. God forbid you have a question about a vaccine program, especially one that doesn't appear to be testing things enough. Then what happens if you decide to use your connections and your ability to make good television and good media, what happens when you decide to focus on the issue that no one wants you to talk about? This was Mark Sharman just recently when we spoke with him.
9: I know this is quite a big deal for you to come out from behind the camera where you've been an executive in the industry for so long. yes. But I know you want to do it because you have been so disturbed by the coverage of many of your former colleagues, the organizations that you used to work for
1: over the course of the pandemic. It was a warning to to, to basically say, do not question the official government line. Um, Now, to be fair to them, they said you can have opposition voices on, but you must, presenters must intervene if there's any danger of harmful or misinformation. It's created an environment which um will ma- will be lead to the biggest assault on freedom of speech and democracy i've known in my lifetime i've never seen the broadcasters toe the line mm. and rather than question the government they became cheerleaders for the government we have lost the free press and it 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 goes against every principle i've ever been taught and grown up with you know we were always taught to be fair and balanced and Show both sides of a story and let the viewers decide, and that has just completely gone out of the window. It is not what journalism is about; it never has been, and it's a very, very dangerous precedent. Um, who are these people that are deciding what's information and what's misinformation? You know, who are they to dismiss scientists, eminent scientists, and doctors who question the official narrative and say it's misinformation? I mean. Since when did science stop? Since when did people stop reviewing it and asking questions and debating it? And we're losing the ability to debate.
0: So he's about to jump into this interview, and I apologize for the audio quality. It was embedded in the actual podcast. Not sure why it's glitchy, but it ends up, uh, you know, leveling out. So just bear with it. It's a great interview.
2: It's one of my favorite interviews of the year with Mark Sharman. It's my honor and pleasure to be joined by... Now, Mark, good to see you.
1: Hello, Dale. Good to be here again. So, we I have- love I love your pa-
2: your passion for the truth. Thank you. Well, I love yours as well. And you know, we had a very deep conversation that we both believed the last time you were here. That we're watching the death of journalism as we speak in america we reference journalism as the fourth branch of government or the fourth estate without a free press that's able to challenge the government and challenge the institutions um, in our nations then we will not be a free people Um, covid really put that to the test and i think we watched sadly as our news agencies became clear propaganda machines for an untested product Um, what, um, you know, you started doing interviews back then, but you made a serious shift. You've gotten involved. So tell me, what did you do after those interviews? Um, you know, what did you decide to do?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, you know, I'm not being brave because I'm retired. So, you know, I I can put my head above the parapet without fear of losing my income. Um, but, I decided that we had to make a film of our own because nobody else was really asking the questions. Um, I got involved really, as I said before, because it was quite clear that the media were only telling one side of the story. Um, And so that's how I first got involved. But I then met some of the vaccine injured. And um, it's a bit like um, the video clip you showed with the doctor a a few minutes ago. You know, he, he says, he says how do we tell the world what we're seeing and i think that's still the case you know how do we tell the world what we're seeing mm-hmm. and um vaccine injured um are suffering really first of all from from the injury themselves and in, in some cases you know we're talking about fatalities or we're talking about limbs being lost but a lot of the people that um have just got constant pain and constant disability which isn't actually always visible If that wasn't bad enough, um, they're being ignored uh, by the NHS over here, by doctors, and I think Dr. Malhotra has said, you know, they're turning a willful blind eye, probably to to protect their own prestige. Mm. Um, And I got more and more involved talking to the vaccine injured, and um, I then hooked up with the terrific young filmmaker, uh, Phil, at Oracle Films and his partner, Liam. and it was, a, it was an interesting marriage of a sort of crotchety old executive and a young um, <laughs> team. But we, we came together and it, it's not television as I remember it. You know, we, it, it was virtually made on a kitchen table. But um, it looked very professional, I think. And um, we were hoping to get the message out there. I mean, the film is built around the stories of six or seven uh, vaccine injured with different levels of, of um, troubles. Deliberately
2: so, um, and so you know when you we were making this. I mean, obviously, and and we're about to sh- to to break this out to the world because I think you've done a brilliant job with this documentary. But you know, when obviously you knew there was pressures on this conversation. But when I watched your documentary just the other day to prepare for this, I thought this is ready to go on television. You can even hear where your commercial breaks are set up. You've done it totally professionally. And I watched it thinking this is 60 minutes. This is what we grew up watching. In fact, just a few short years ago, this documentary would have been exactly how they would have talked about the swine flu vaccine and the news that was reported then. Yet we you know, live in a different time now. So when you finish this, what was the response? I mean, you're still a television executive. You know, I'm sure some of those places have changed, but you have sources, you have places you could go. I know I'm asking you a rhetorical question because I went through this journey with Vaxed. When I went to all of my producer spaces, you know, how do we get this out there? What did they say to you?
1: I think, in, in general, um, people I've talked to uh, don't really believe you. That's the, that's the first problem. Mm. Um, but I mean, I. I think the, the difficulty is that, that it's, there's no debate. There is no other side of the story. Now, I'd, really, it doesn't matter to me whether, well, it does matter, but if Dr. Mahatarens and the like are wrong, actually, that's not the point. They should be heard, and the debate should right. be had. And, um, you know, in my time in, in full-time broadcasting, um, we always looked at both sides of the story and left it to the viewer, really, to make their mind up. There was, you know, there was none of the preaching that, that now goes on. Um, I, I, you know, it's very difficult for me to, to to see that. And we we approached two or three companies, but uh, and individuals. And actually, in one case, um, somebody that had, that had done a terrific expose of the Tamiflu um, and mm-hmm. the swine flu. Uh, but in this, in this case, they think the vaccine works. They they're believing the science. But, right. you know, as we all know, the, the science is not being questioned. So in the film, we we it's based around six or seven of the vaccine injured and they, we tell their stories. And you feel the frustrations uh, for them. You know, they just cannot get listened to and cannot get treatment. And of course, there is no particular end in sight for them, um, which makes it even worse. Uh, and they're trying all kinds of self-help uh, to try and alleviate the pain and get back some some form of normal life but we go on to look at um the medical profession the uh regulators um the drug companies themselves the trials and how accurate were they um how we yeah. arrived at an efficacy of, an efficacy of 95 percent when in truth it was nothing like that right but we also look at how our, our government the uk government uh, were influenced by behavioral scientists um a type of process which has been described as unethical. And we look at the media. And I think one of the most disappointing things for me is the BBC, you'll see in the film, actually say on air, they say on air, we do not debate with anti-vaxxers. It's not our editorial policy, whether they are right or wrong. Now, that's the BBC who, you know, like to think they've got this reputation for impartiality Mm -hmm. and fair Mm -hmm. and balanced Um, We asked them about that, what happened to fair and balanced reporting, and they weren't prepared to comment. Wonderful. Um, So it's it's really quite worrying. I mean, I just think, you know, as as I'm sure you do, this is just the tip of a control iceberg. Um, The BBC are partners in the Trusted News Initiative, which involves Microsoft and Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. Um, And they're basically... Um, censoring any any doctors, scientists, journalists and and the public who try to speak out. Um, worst of all, the self-help groups, almost the Good Samaritans, if you like, um, that have been set up to help each other because they can't they can't get any advice from the medical profession. Yeah. Even those groups have been silenced on Facebook. Um, and and here's here's the, the worst which which happened last week. The BBC um, actually boasted in public that they'd had one of the, had these groups shut down. They alerted their partners in big tech um, that some of the self help groups were using carrots and other emojis instead of instead of the syringes. Oh, so that, wow. so again, it it was shut down. Now this is the BBC. They're not just blocking the other side of the story, or not reporting the other side of the story. They're actually the blocking events happening. Uh, which is a world I don't recognize, Dell, and I'm sure you don't. Um, it's a very dangerous thing when big tech and, and social media and traditional media are all playing the same tune and they're blocking out any dissenting or questioning voices.
2: Well, look, you've done the only thing a decent human being and a great journalist and producer could do. You decided to tell that story Um, I know a lot of your own funding went into this uh, and you say you're not brave or you're not a hero. You are because of what we're about to do right now. The TV, mainstream media may not be airing this or you may not get a filmic release, but we're going to do everything we can right now to help get this documentary out to everyone in the world. I love that it is so clean and tight and short and simple. It's not overly emotional. It is very clearly and brilliantly done. And I think we can shift um, even more hearts and minds than we have in the work that we're doing. So I wanna thank you for this effort. So without further ado, let me just take it to my audience here and say we're going to screen this documentary right now. For the next 55 minutes, you're gonna watch a completely, totally professionally made Um, TV documentary that should have been on the BBC or Sky News or CNN or MSNBC, but it will not for the reasons that we know. But that is what we are here to do. That's what you're here to do. This is how we make a difference in the world. So not only do I want you to watch this, and remember, no one's gonna get paid for this. Mark Sharman is gonna make no money now because we're handing this to you for free. It is this important that the people are dedicating their lives and their careers to get the stories of the injured out there, to get the stories of Mahatra and the, the paper that he's just written out there. As they said, this is a concerted effort to hit the world with both of these things. The paper that Mahatra's just done and then this documentary, Safe and Effective, A Second Opinion. Think what we can do if great people keep handing us tools like this. All we have to do is know about them and use them. So I thought this would be a good segue From the New York Post, California makes it
0: illegal for doctors to disagree with politicians. That isn't a joke. California criminal governor Gavin Newsom made a splash this summer by running ads in Florida that claimed, quote, freedom is under attack in your state, end quote. The ads should have aired in his own state, which is the land of lockdowns and mask mandates. And under a new state law, doctors may even be punished for disputing the government's public health orthodoxy. These experts are often wrong and loath to admit it, as we learned with pandemic government lockdowns. Yet California Democrats last month enacted legislation that empowers the state medical board to discipline doctors licensed in the state who, quote, disseminate misinformation or disinformation, end quote, that contradicts the, quote, contemporary scientific consensus, end quote, i.e., The World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, the CDC, whatever those criminal cabals say, you must obey. It's no longer in the hands of the doctors to come forward and speak their truth. It is now up to the politicians to tell you what is and isn't. Yeah, welcome to California hell. (laughs) It's just crazy this is even being tolerated. At this point, I mean, come on. How obvious can this tyranny become? How ridiculous. I mean, what? It's like we stepped into 1984 and it was like there was no real transition into that. It was just like, boom, we're there. We're now in 1984 and far worse than 1984, where these politicians think that they can dictate what information we can see. I mean, even this week, PayPal got busted because they were saying that they, you know, if you spread misinformation, they can kill your account and steal $2,500 out of your bank account. It's just ridiculous. PayPal, when people pay for stuff, just be the middleman, take your little cut, and mind your own damn business. People's opinions are not your problem. You are not the policeman of what you think misinformation is, unless there's someone else breathing down your throat telling you what to do. Hmm. Highly likely. All that to say, they got busted and they reversed course of action this week within 24 hours. They were just like, hey, it was a mistake. Give me a break. That was not a mistake. They've got lawyers, legal firms, people looking over every inch of those agreements. That was not a mistake. They probably had thousands of people cancel their accounts and they decided to reverse course because they were going, oh shit, the people can see. It's ridiculous. The tyranny levels are just becoming so disgusting. What do you do? Like, What, what can you say to somebody who doesn't see this yet? You just want to slap them and be like, hey, wake the fuck up. What? What? Wake, 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 wake the fuck up. We're, we're, we're boiling. Huh? sleeping, what? We're, we're boiling. The water's boiling now. And then everyone's dead. It's the boiling frog scenario. Crazy, but that's where we're at. I mean, there's still a lot of people that just don't see anything wrong happening in the world. Everything's hunky-dory. It's wild. So I came across this hilarious, uh, there's a great account called Libs of TikTok where they just basically repost insane leftist liberal content. They don't do anything else to it. They don't edit it. They just post what these people post. So here is a middle school teacher who sounds like a child complaining about a situation with one of her students because of pronouns.
6: I had a fun little conversation with my students yesterday. For those of you who are new, I am very queer. I am non-binary, and I use they, them pronouns, and my students know this. But yesterday...
0: I mean, listen to this person. <laughs> but yesterday... Oh, ah, oh, so annoying.
6: But yesterday, I had some boys asking about it, and I explained to them, like, here's how you use it, here's an example we use it in the English language all the time. And they respond with, well, if you're a man, then I can be a woman. And so I looked at him and I said, okay, do you want me to use she, her pronouns for you? And he goes, uh, no. And I responded with, okay, so you're just saying that to hurt my feelings then.
0: She's talking to a middle school kid. And she's acting like she's one of the students arguing. You can't make this up. You can't make this up. This is madness. And he goes, oh,
6: what? No. Like, yes, you are. You're being a bully. You're being
0: transphobic. The fact that a teacher is even entertaining this and telling a student that they're being a bully, in all reality, it's a student who's able to assess, my teacher is a female who's saying she's a man, and in their absolute inner fiber beingness, they know something's wrong with that statement. And so they're confronting their teacher about it because the teacher is supposed to be someone with um, a logical mind. But... Not in 2022, logic is out the window, bitch. And you know what? Yes, to be fair, maybe the kid is being a little asshole, but you know what? Why are you even dealing with this? These kids shouldn't even know anything about just, the teachers should just be teaching the subjects, why they're even talking about their queerness. It's ridiculous. When I was a kid in school, I knew nothing about my teacher's private life, nothing and the fact that teachers are now expecting that you know they've got to be on full front street with their kids so they know that they've got the rainbow flags everywhere i mean it's just so it's so pathetic there's such a dying like child on the inside of these people like a like a, a screaming injured child that needs help and it goes far beyond their sexuality there's something else at play here it's just pathetic I mean, clearly this teacher has mental health issues. I mean, if she had any integrity, he, she, whatever, why would she be posting this online? Red flag, red flag. Okay, let's try to get through the rest of this without vomiting.
6: And the boys around him kept saying the same stuff. Eventually I shut it down, but how am I supposed to call parents about this behavior when they're probably the people that they learned it from? How am I supposed to ask parents for help when I know that they're not going to respect me?
0: Well, I mean, she's assuming, first of all. But how is a parent supposed to respect her if she's acting like a child like this? It's ridiculous. And honestly, to be fair to these kids, they're all being lied to nonstop. They're being lied to with the media, television, programming, all of this stuff. And, I, you know, I'm not one to, like, want to make fun of anybody here. Like, I don't want to do that. I just—it's so upside-down town that— when I come across this kind of stuff, I just, I don't even know what to say. It's the fact that she had to go online, share this story for what? For what? To tell all of the people in, in the leftist corner, the whole, just the tragic reality in which she has to live where she can't just tell people how queer she is and people just accept it. No one wants to know. Shut up and teach math. Okay, so I figure we should close out with something a little more positive and happy and funny. I follow this guy named Alex Stein on Instagram. He's on all the socials and all that. He goes by Primetime Stein. Uh, If you get a chance, he's done a bunch of great interviews and stuff like that. But he shows up to city council in Allen uh, dressed like a rat. And uh, this video is titled, Ronnie the Rat Speaks at City Hall for Trans Species Awareness. He's a troll genius.
2: Next, I have
3: Ronnie Thurret. 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 the rat. Sorry.
0: (laughs) He's dressed like a
3: rat. I'm Ronnie, how you guys doing? Hello, council. My name is Ronnie the rat. I'm a trans-species elementary school teacher here in Allen ISD. And I just want to try to bring more awareness for furries like myself. Now, I have the most students in my class that have actually transitioned from a human being to a cat. Now I know I'm a rat, but that's more because I'm a Chuck E. Cheese, you know, freak. I love Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, I've spent a lot of time there but that's why I like rats but this is the problem is we have a lot of trans inclusivity in other cities like Frisco they're doing pride parades at a lot of churches we're not doing any pride parades at churches here in Allen and that's what we need we need more kids on gender reassignment surgery or gender reassignment hormones and the best way I think for me that it's gotten the message out to the other students is doing it myself leading by example and that's what I'm trying to do here as a trans species as Ronnie the rat he's like listen there's a social stigma me trying to date other furries like this and alan there's not a community there's not a bar that accepts me accepts me chris i can't just go to the bar like this i get made fun of and that's the same thing that's happened to my nine-year-olds my 10 year olds if they feel more comfortable being a cat i don't mind putting a litter box in the classroom that lets them defecate in there that's what i think is important and should i tell the parents no we shouldn't tell the parents these kids can make decisions at 10 years old like their parents shouldn't be involved that's what makes me so mad is i get all these parents that are mad at me because I buy oftentimes buy these costumes for these kids and the kids go home in the costume and the parents come back and they yell at scream at me and they say, We don't want you to sexualize our children, they call me the G word, G R O O M E R, which is Basically like the N-word. And it's just a terrible description of who I am. I'm trying to help young kids be themselves. If they want to be a cat, if they want to defecate in the litter box, I'm all for that. I'm talking to the principal. I'm trying to get the cafeteria tables on the ground so that the kids are able to eat more ergonomically on fours like an animal. This is what we need to do. We need Allen to be more inclusive. Right now, we're, we're suffering from a lot of bigotry. And so I'm Ronnie the rapping rat. So I want to end on a little rap. Yo, my name is Ronnie, I am a rat. If you talk crap, I'll get the gat. Get the booster, test it on eight mice. I don't really care if you got lots of lice. I'm a pimp on a blimp, teaching my kids their gender. We can cut it off, throw it in a blender. Gender reassignment surgery is the key. It will set you free, get a mustache. Sec- to me, I love when you cut it off, then you can't be the boss. I'm a teacher, not a preacher. God is fake, the earth. Evolve from pawn scum. Two rocks smash together, that's how we got here. Ronnie the rat, don't grab the gad. I don't really care if you sit in the front or the back. The indoctrination is super strong. You can come to class in your little thong. I don't care what you say. Gotta vaccinate the straight, gotta vaccinate the gay. And that's what I'm sad. I'm sad that I was not one of the eight mice that Dr. Anthony Fauci chose to test the booster on. So I have a lot of sorrow. I have a lot of things that I'm upset about. And I just want to bring awareness to Ronnie the and Rat. You guys can do this. We can get more kids to become trans species, and we can get more gender reassignment surgery for nine-year-olds. Thank you. Thank you guys very much. Primetime Stein on Instagram. Thank you, guys.
0: And there couldn't be a better way to end the show than that. So I want to thank Alex Stein, Greg Reese at InfoWars, The High Wire, Elf Tree Publishing, and, of course, you, our badass listeners here at ETC. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please reach out to us at exitthecult at protonmail.com or visit exitthecult.com. You can support us at Patreon. You guys, uh, this is a one-man operation. I could absolutely use your help financially to keep this show going. There's a lot of money that goes into this kind of stuff people don't really realize, but if you want to support and be one of our executive producers, hit me up, exitthecult at protonmail.com, and I would love for your support. I would love it. I would love it. I would. I would cry. As always, be sure to check out the description for show notes and links to articles and videos featured in the episode. Be sure to subscribe to the show over on twitch.tv. Yes, I got a twitch.tv channel now. Exit the cult, where I will be doing some occasional live shows in real time. It's gonna be fun. Rest in peace, Coolio and Angela Lansbury. You will be missed. Have a killer weekend and don't be a killer! If you have an interesting story or information you'd like to share with our listeners, send us an email at exitthecult at protonmail.com. Please help support the show by becoming an Exit the Cult member over on our Patreon page for exclusive content and bonus episodes. Tune in to new episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Thanks for listening.